0: Welcome to a very special series of ESA Explores. On the 31st of March 2021, the European Space Agency opened applications for its first astronaut selection in over a decade. In this series, we delve a bit deeper into the role and the attributes of ESA astronauts with a few of the people who know them best. Along the way, we discover there are so many different opportunities to work in space exploration, and there's no one linear pathway to getting there. We hope you enjoy this journey behind the scenes. I'm Ali Kohler, Stephen Ennis is on the sound desk, and this is ESER Explores. Welcome to another episode of ESER Explores. In this series, we're focusing on space careers and astronaut selection. In this episode, we're speaking to science advisor and Spaceship EAC coordinator, Aidan Cowley. What's Spaceship EAC, you might be asking? Spaceship EAC is an initiative at the European Astronaut Centre that brings together young researchers and students to look at some potential technologies that we might need when we go to the Moon or beyond. You could say he's working with the next generation to prepare for the next generation of spaceflight. There are a lot of exciting projects that Aidan and his team are looking at. Without further ado, here's our conversation with Aidan. Today, we're talking to Aidan Cowley, and Aidan, I understand you're a science officer at ESA, is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct. So I'm a science officer at ESA here. I've been working with the agency since 2014. I initially joined as a research fellow And then I joined as a staff position in 2017, and I've been working here at the Astronaut Centre since then and having a great time working on all sorts of interesting topics around future exploration.
0: So the Astronaut Centre must be a fascinating place to work. Well, I know it is because I'm there as well. But for you, you're working on a particularly interesting side of it. You work with a lot of young researchers on different projects relating to the future of space exploration. So can you tell me a little bit about how that works and what that initiative is?
1: Yeah, for sure. So we're part of an initiative called Spaceship EAC. And as you said, we're kind of looking into topics for exploration in the future. So we kind of say our our topical area of interest, our mandate is for uh, beyond the low-Earth orbit, so looking at lunar and even Martian exploration. And the team is made up uh, of a very multidisciplinary uh, collection of of, uh, students, of research fellows, uh, of staff persons like myself, uh, and we're all looking into topics that are, we think are important for human spaceflight and exploration in the future. It's a, quite a diverse uh, portfolio of activities that we're involved in. We cover things, for example, looking into virtual reality, augmented reality for future exploration. We look into things like machine learning and artificial intelligence, how that could be used to help astronauts in the future. And we also look into other topics like uh, using space resources. So what resources could you find on planetary surfaces to support exploration for longer periods of time and looking into topics around habitation, how we can you know, make these environments that are really challenging, really difficult to, to work in, safer for the astronauts. Looking into the radiation risk, for example, or the challenges of dust, on the lunar surface. So it's a, a very broad portfolio of uh, activities that we look into. Uh, we're trying to you know, chart a path through these areas, finding technologies that we think have uh, merit and uh, pushing them forward a little bit and getting them adopted and pushed and developed further within ESA so that they're available to our astronauts when they go to these locations in the future.
0: Okay. And how long has this initiative been underway? Was it since 2017 when you came on board as a staff person or was it happening before then?
1: Technically, Spaceship EAC actually began in 2012. It was, it was initiated by the head of the centre, Frank Devin, who's the chief astronaut. And it was basically uh, set up as a kind of workshop for how to address the, the challenge of exploration, how the, how the centre EAC could prepare itself for this challenge. And when I joined as a research fellow down in 2014, I was asked to to work with the Spaceship BAC and, and to help develop it further. So we kind of took a bit of a pivot then, and we looked more into perhaps having younger people, uh, younger members of staff, students, and so forth involved in some of these projects to help advance them. And then from 2014, we've been essentially growing the team and growing our capabilities and pushing these topics forward. And it's, it, it's taken off from there. We actually now have not just one Spaceship, we actually have three Spaceship initiatives running officially within ESA. We have Spaceship BAC, which is the longest running, uh, but we also have Spaceship Exat in the UK and Spaceship France in Toulouse, uh, which only started there last September in 2020. So it's, it's really taken off and uh, we're really, it's really exciting time to be involved in exploration. And, and I think Spaceship has a really great opportunity to play a role in, in the future of exploration with ESA.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good opportunity for people to perhaps have their initial contact or, or sink their teeth into some of these space topics um, in the early stages of their careers. Can you tell me a little bit about, you touched on it before, some of the challenges that Spaceship EAC looks to tackle, but do you have any specific examples of of projects that you might have worked on or the team has been working on?
1: We've got quite a portfolio of projects. I could probably fill up a couple of hours talking about it, but I (laughs) uh, I won't do that. Uh, we've got quite a portfolio of projects uh, that we've been involved in over the years, and, and they're all deeply interesting and quite exciting. To give an example of one project that we're working on at the moment is looking into the topic of space resources and the idea of perhaps being able to 3D print with, with the material that you might find in a location that you visit in the future. So imagine if you go to the moon in the future and you're, uh, you want to stay there for a longer period of time. One of the challenges you will face is the environment of the moon. So we're looking into uh, helping to adapt against this environment for example uh, perhaps building or 3d printing uh, regolith walls to protect the astronauts against the radiation and thermal environment of the moon's surface and there's many different methodologies you can you can explore within that research question we're looking into for example printing of regolith using focused sunlight using microwave direct microwave technology but also looking into more novel ideas for example looking into composites perhaps producing mixtures of regolith and plastic material that you could bring with you from Earth or recycle with you from material that you have in your spacecraft to build these kind of building blocks that you can use to construct things like radiation shields. But you can also even go finer. You can also produce very fine and small parts from this same technology. So not only can you build large, gross structures, but you can also produce very small, fine elements that could be used to support your sustainability. So you don't have to be so dependent upon resupply. From Earth.
0: Yeah, and that's going to be really important, isn't it, if we're going back in a sustainable way, not just these short, sharp missions and being able to use the resources that are there for those who might not be aware of, of, of regoliths. So that's the moon dust the, that you're printing with and creating things with, which is, which is really cool. And I understand that we even have a simulant that's sourced from near EAC itself that you tried out with that's quite close to the real thing.
1: Right, exactly. So this regular, it's the ubiquitous material you find across the surface of the moon and also on other planetary uh, locations. Many people look at it as a hazard, but it's also potentially an interesting resource. And as you said, Ali, one of the big challenges we face in the future is the nature of sustainability. We want to make our exploration deeper into space you know, sustainable. And honestly, the only way to do that is to leverage resources you find locally. Much like our our ancestors, when they crossed the Atlantic, they had to live uh, you know, off resources they find locally. We also have to do the same thing. We have to be able to live off the land. And this technology that we're developing with ESA now to do so, it, it's going to be the huge enabler for exploration in the future.
0: So once you sort of test out these technologies or, or these ways of 3D printing, is there a next phase? How do these projects progress?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So obviously, our job as a BAC is to kind of investigate a little bit uh, at an early level these ideas and see if they have you know, merit or see if there's an innovative angle that perhaps has not been explored before. And if we do find that, if they find that the idea actually has you know, some interest and value or we have some new innovative approach to this, this problem, then we're, we're, very, we're very well linked with our colleagues uh, in the greater ESA family who have uh, a lot of expertise on taking these lower technology ideas and bringing them forward into development. For example, my colleagues at the technical center in, in Nordvike have a lot of experience with taking uh, technologies and bringing them up to a point where they could actually be deployed in future missions, and that's, that's an amazing capability to have. So we kind of act a little bit like uh, sometimes as a kind of pathfinder we like to practically demonstrate some of these technologies to show that they actually work, as you know we think they should. We try to inject an innovative angle, if we can, uh, in, into these uh, developments, and then we pass them on to the other colleagues within ESA who have their own expertise on, on further developing these technologies, testing them, you know, understanding the operational concepts behind them, for example, uh, and bringing them forward to a point where they're now on the table as as uh, you know credible. Solutions that we could actually deploy in a mission in the future.
0: And you speak about being closely connected with ESA colleagues, and it sounds like there's a, there's a great pathway there for these technologies. But other ESA colleagues that you're quite well connected to are the astronauts, of course, who are based when they're not in training for missions and things at the European Astronaut Centre. Um, and I understand Matthias Maurer um, and also Samantha Cristoferetti at different times were closely involved in Spaceship EAC. Can you tell me how? This astronaut involvement helps these projects, or how, how you work with the astronauts?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, as you mentioned, uh, two names there, Samantha and Matthias, uh, they've been intimately involved with uh, Spaceship EAC for many years. Samantha, for example, when she turned from her mission to the ISS, was actually uh, the team leader for Spaceship EAC for many years. And she helped to direct the projects and direct the team towards many of these developments that we're doing now. Mateus also has been involved in, in Spaceships from the very beginning and also. It was my office mate for many, many years before he uh, uh, disappeared off for training now for his current Cosmic Kiss uh, mission. And in both cases, you know, we rely upon the expertise and the insights of the astronauts quite a bit. To give an example, some other technologies that we're looking at is using virtual reality for preparing for exploration missions. So, for example, we've been using virtual reality to investigate the future gateway station that's going to be constructed around the moon. And we've been using the astronauts who have, you know, unique experience of being to space. We've been immersing them into this VR environment and asking them to give us feedback on some design decisions that have that been made around the gateway, for example. So this is a, an example of where the astronauts can give their unique insight from having been in space and having had all the training and all the background that they have to help shape the future exploration. We're also going to be doing this again in the future. For example, we're developing we're planning to develop in, in, in Europe what we call EL3, which is the European Large Logistics Lander, essentially a, a very uh, impressive cargo lander capability that we will be able to deploy to the surface of the moon and use this to manifest payloads on the surface. But one of the use cases for the, this lander could be astronauts working with the EL3 lander when it lands, uh, unloading cargo or carrying out experiments with the EL3 systems. In which case, then again, having the astronauts' perspective of how to interact and ergonomically engage with this lander is something that uh, will be very valuable. And it's something that, again, we can use the technologies that we developed at Spaceship BAC with virtual reality to help guide the design decisions around this.
0: Yeah, it's great to have that mutual relationship there because I'm sure they appreciate just as much being involved in these early technologies and being able to feed into something that might really affect them in the future um, in their roles. So I guess that's something that our new astronaut class can look forward to as well. And to to take it back to you again, Aidan, you mentioned that you started as a research fellow. Can you tell me just a little bit about your background and how you came to be working in space?
1: Yeah, for sure. So my background is a little bit diverse and uh, I probably didn't follow the traditional path that many people take to to end up working at the agency. But to give you a full accounting of my my background, I I was initially, my primary degree was in the area of computer science. Uh, So I was actually trained as a programmer initially. Um, And then after that, I went on to do a master's uh, in electronic systems uh, to kind of further diversify uh, my skill set and my background. And then a few years later, I went on to do a a Ph.D. uh, in the area of of materials, uh, in particular uh, semiconductor science, crystallography and energy systems. And then that very strange background ended up priming me quite well for a position here at, at EAC. This wasn't actually my first attempt to join ESA. I tried to join uh, ESA in 2013 uh, as a, a research fellow at STEC, but it was unsuccessful. But then uh, the next year I tried again and there was this position here at EAC, uh, which was looking for someone who had the kind of skills that uh, I had in my CV at that point. I know now looking back uh, that uh, the experience I got from all of my different qualifications um, have given me a huge broad base of, of technology um, capabilities that that actually make me um, quite useful I feel to the agency which I'm very thankful for but certainly I couldn't have planned that this is how it would all work out in the end Uh, but I'm glad that it did
0: (laughs) yeah well we're glad that it did as well because I mean there are so many interesting projects that you're able to share with us so you also of course are coaching a lot of young people a lot of people who are looking to start out in their career are coming through Spaceship EAC. so what kind of guidance and advice do you give to them when it comes to a potential space career?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a topic that comes up quite a bit. I, I get asked a lot for some career guidance and, and some suggestions. And I think the one thing I like to say to people who are interested in careers in space is that, it's, first of all, it's a terrifically interesting career. It's, it's the kind of job you'll probably end up surrounded by people who are super enthusiastic about what they're doing, who are top of their game, who you know, really love the work that they do and, and they really pour their heart and soul into what they're, tr- what they're trying to achieve. We all believe in, in, in what, what we're working on here. And I think that makes a huge difference. And it's a deeply attractive environment to work with. For people wishing to join this environment, I would say one of the important things to understand is it's also a very highly competitive environment to get into because it's such an attractive area. It attracts a lot of people who want to work in this area. So you really have to find ways to make yourself, distinguish yourself, to make yourself really stand out and shine a little bit more perhaps than your competitors. There's ways of doing this, for example, uh, joining societies in university who are working on rocketry or astronomy societies or engaging in, in extracurricular activities. Things that can perhaps give you a bit more of a visibility in the area of space, things that make you stand out a little bit more and make you more uh, stronger as a candidate for, for these kind of positions when they open up. This is something I would say to them. And second thing I would say to them is the quality of, of how they conduct their you know, studies, their research and, and their theses, for example, bachelor's thesis or master's thesis or PhD and everything. There's no harm to see if you can find logical connections between what you're doing uh, and, and the space sector. This is an important indicator, perhaps, to people who might look at your CV and say, actually, this person does have an interest and a capability to work in this area, even if perhaps their CV or their background is not so perfectly keyed for it, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. And have you seen some of your, I mean, by this stage, you might have seen some of your, um, <laughs> I was going to say, protégés or past <laughs> students <laughs> go on to take up positions within ESA.
1: Yeah, I have. And it's actually one of the most uh, deeply rewarding and fascinating parts of my job. Since joining in 2014, I've had a lot of students, a lot of people, a lot of graduates and, and even PhD persons, uh, researchers who have joined my team and have gone on. And now you, what you see is they've essentially migrated around into the space sector uh, and other, other sectors that are deeply interesting as well. And they've, they've ended up doing really impressive and, and excellent work. Um, there's people who have ended up going into academia uh, as professors, which is a strange turn. There's people then who actually have ended up working with ESA, which is great. I like to say that we're slowly taking over ESA from the inside <laughs> with my team, you know, slowly infiltrating from the bottom up. And there's there's people then who've actually uh, taken their experience with us in ESA and and gone on to work in other sectors. And uh, what what I've learned from them is that their time with us has really opened up their their career. It's it's made them super attractive to other sectors because of what they've done with us, of the interesting and novel work and the kind of the team environment that we have here. It's a really powerful experience to have on your CV. And it really transfers well beyond just the space sector, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. A lot of a lot of the skills and knowledge is transferable. So that's a really good thing to have. And I think, yeah, you're a really good person to talk to because, you know, the astronaut selection comes up not so often. I mean, this is the first time in 10 years that ESA's been recruiting. And one of the criteria is that you do need to have some professional experience after you complete your master's to apply. So the There may be people listening who have an interest in space aren't quite there yet um, to become astronauts, but there could certainly be other opportunities. So, you know, don't, don't count yourself out of a space career. Plenty of other opportunities within ESA or within the sector itself.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, if you took a kind of clinical look at my CV before I joined ESA, you'd never have any real hint that this is the kind of work that I would do, you know, a year later. It's not always super clear, but if you have the right skills and the right interests and can express yourself well and sell yourself for these kind of positions, then, you know, you can open up these doors if you, if you really try.
0: Wonderful. Thanks for that, Aidan. That seems like a good place to leave it. So thank you very much for talking to us today. It was great to have you on.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for the conversation.
0: To find out more about ESA's 2021 astronaut selection, visit the website esa.int.com slash your way to space that's your way t-o space thanks for listening to ESA explores if you have any feedback or ideas for future episodes of the podcast don't hesitate to get in touch via twitter at ESA spaceflight using the hashtag ESA explores